0: With you guys most of the time, and, and we talked last week about humility, and, and I said that I had trouble with that because it just seemed like I don't know, it's kind of uh, Mamsie Pam's, and we saw that humility is a pretty cool thing once you get into it. But if I had problems last week with humility, I've got, I think, more problems with this concept of being soft uh, or uh, of being meek. Uh, and that's part of the evidence of being Christian, because as all of you know, I'm 100% pure testosterone male, and and I don't like pink, and I don't like soft, and I don't like meek, and I don't like this this kind of flowery thing. And so, when the Bible says that I'm, if I'm walking a worthy walk, I'm supposed to be meek, it sounds like I'm supposed to put on leotards or something. I don't know. It sounds it sounds like you're a milk toast, you know. I, I think of a, I think of just a kind of a kind of a person and. And it's like, you know, the miltoes, fish back, someone can walk all over you, you're lower than slime, kind of a mentality, soft, dainty, sappy, that's what I think of as sappy. Uh, and I was 100% pure male and all the other 100% pure males in this congregation, we don't like sap, do we? I don't like sap, I don't know about you guys, but... And there's too much sap in this world, too much sap in this culture, I hate sappy movies. Actually, I like them, but they make me cry, <laughs> It made me cry. And I don't like some director up there reaching through the movie screen, grabbing your heart. You know, do you ever feel like that? He's just, he's reaching through the screens, grabbing your heart, and he's jerking you all around with his sappy stuff, and you, you know he's doing it too. You sit there in the theater, all the men do. We, we sit there, and I'm not going to cry. <laughs> and then the producer's hand gets in there. Oh, yes, you are. <laughs> okay, start the kid crying. In terms of endearment, when that kid's next to the, his mom dying, you know that one? Or, or when she's dying and she waves bye to her mom. Oh, the world is so cold and cruel. Sap, here's sap. And we sell out to it. Beaches. All, you know, all the guys call them chick flicks. You know, beaches, steel magnolias, all these little women. And we don't like to like go to them because we cry. Sap, 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 sap. Little mermaid. <laughs> I know that I am not the only male testosterone one in this crowd that cried at Little Mermaid. I mean when 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 the father comes up out of the water and hugs Ariel, she says, I love you, Daddy. It's like, oh he loved her so much that he gave her legs, and now he'll never see her again. I know, it's just Gushy Gushy, Gushy, Gushy. Nothing worse than locking out of a movie with bloodshot eyes and so it's been a cartoon. Bambi, Bambi, when he when he, when he comes up there, you know, on the, on the on the hillside, and he's looking over, doing just what his dad used to do before the stupid hunter killed him. And now Bambi's up there. You start catching your breath. You ever do that? Like, <laughs> sap in the sap. there's so much sap in the world. Sap in the movies. Sappy one-liners. You know, uh, sappy one-liners. Uh, love means. Jennifer, you know, talking to Ryan O'Neill on the stairs. You know the story. It's the sappiest movie ever created, and this is the sappiest line ever said. But uh, love means... You know, I'm sorry, Jennifer. And she's there with her puppy dog eyes, shivering, crying. Love means never having to say you're sorry. Like, it reeks with sap! The more recent one is... is uh, 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 for 500 points, what was this movie? Uh, I Love You... I think her name was uh, Meg. I-, I Love You, Megan... No, no, no! Not Forrest Gump. <laughs> I, I, I love you, Maggie. Ditto. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You see, guys. Molly, I love you, Molly. This, this guy who's half vaporous. I love you, Molly. And she goes, "Ditto." Because see, he always said "ditto" because he could never say "I love you." But now that he's dead, he can say "I love you." And she says, "Ditto." Oh, it's so touching. Then he walks away. The love. I want to go into acting. The love. You take it with you, and then it goes into the light, you know, it was all that New Age stuff kind of stuff. Well, it just reeks with sap, and, 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 and I don't like sap. I don't like the gushy stuff. It makes me cry, and I don't want to do that. The flowery stuff, that's why I don't like, sorry, folks, but I do not like country-western, because it reeks with sap. I mean, uh, I don't need to hear about more people who lose their wife and lose their dog and lose their car and lose their husbands and cheat on their wives and get drunk. It, it, it's enough of that. The world's bad enough. Why do we need country-western music? It's, it rigs with sap. And as a testosterone male, I do not like it. But what really gets me is when it creeps into Christianity, and this is why the verse bugs me. All this is to tell you why the verse bugs me. Be meek. When I when I see pictures of Jesus, some of these pictures of Jesus, you know, first of all, he's ebony white. And he's got blue eyes. You know, real real Jewish looking there, real Mediterranean. And and, and sometimes, you know, you've seen photographs of Jesus in the clouds. Uh, he's always got that distant look in his eye and kind of sad and it's like he just got out of the field picking the daffodils that, that meekness, it's kind of like give him some life, give him some character and you get that on movies sometimes the greatest story ever told I mean you've got this ebony white, blue eyed guy walking around looking like he's been smoking something he shouldn't have been smoking and he's got that, that kind of distant eye he walks around and he's always so Francis of Assisi type you know where Mother Teresa says everything's nice, you know, you know. It's like, nah, come on, give him a little life, a little juice or whatever. They had a play last year. Some of you went to it. Maybe you liked it. But So if you liked it, take my opinion as being worthless, because it is. But I went to it. The big production down at the Target Center. Uh, you know, Props alone must have cost dozens of dollars, and, and, and tens and tens of people came out to see this thing. And it's called His Name is Jesus. And, and, and uh, this per- it was like one of the sappiest things in the world. First of all, the actors didn't talk. They had a tape. And 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 they wouldn't even move their mouth. They would just kind of go like this to make a point, and, you know, and, and I wish they would have done that. But they all walked like their, their pants were painfully tight, you know. And they, they all were just kind of like you know. And Jesus especially always had this look at it. I'm not kidding. I lasted 20 minutes Went with Daryl and Jan uh, Rawlings, and, and we finally had to, had we had to leave because we were laughing so hard. It was funny. <laughs> But that's what, you know, if, if, if that's kind of what meekness means, then I, then you know, give me some tights and flowers and put me on a street corner and, you know, help me to witness. But I'll do it if the Bible says that, but I hope that's what the Bible means. And I don't see Jesus being like that very often. I mean, there was times when he was really meek, gentle, you know, uh, when we dealt with sinners, people who were needing mercy, uh, whatever, he was very, very gentle. But there were also times, were there not, when this guy turned into more of an Indiana Jones than a Francis of Assisi, when he went into the temple, and people were, were cashing in on God and, and, and using God's name to make a buck, man, he, he, he roared, he turned over the tables, he got a whip and, and drove them out. Not a whole lot of gentleness, not a whole lot of meekness there. And when he was talking to the Pharisees, the, the hypocrites, he was in their face. He wasn't just like, uh, you know, come on, you guys, you know, uh, I'm really getting frustrated. <laughs> What I hear you saying is... No! (laughs) It's cool, it's cool. I can deal with that. You vipers, you varmints, you white sepulchers, you blind leaders of the blind. Oh, he was in their face, down their throat all over them. Not a little gentleness, not a meekness there. In fact, one place in 2 Timothy where the Bible says that we are to be meek and we're, we're to be kind and we're to be gentle... It follows the next verse up and says, therefore, fight the good fight. Now we're talking the kind of talk. It was a boxing match. Fight the good fight. Now how do you fight the good fight? How, how do you get in there if you're supposed to be meek and kind and gentle and dainty? I, how, how do you put the two together? What does the word meek mean? A lot of times we can find out something about the word. You know, when it's translated into English. You lose some things. And so sometimes it's good to go back into the cultural background to get the nuance of the word. Right? And that's part of the job of preachers. We're supposed to do that. So I'm going to do that now. There's two things about the culture that help us understand the biblical concept of meekness. Number one, a man named Aristotle, most of you have heard of Aristotle, a genius a Greek philosopher. He wrote a book called Decomian Ethics. And in this book, he discusses all the different virtues of human life. And he discusses them by, by playing them off of two extremes. It's called Aristotle's Golden Mean. And so he says, for example, courage. Courage is, the, is in between foolhardy disregard for your own life and overprotectiveness for your own life, cowardice. Courage is in between those two extremes. You care about your life, and yet, if need be, you're willing to lay down your life, but you don't want to throw it away. That's the, the mean. Well, he talks about this, this concept of meekness, or gentleness as a virtue, softness as a virtue. It's really interesting. For Aristotle, it primarily has to do with... Uh, with with how you operate when you're in tense and angry situations. And the the extremes are, on the one hand, uncontrollable rage, and on the other hand, indifference. Either acting indifferent or actually being indifferent. Gentleness is being angry, it's being concerned, it's being invested and being involved, but not out of control. There's a second thing about the culture that's really interesting, and that is this. The word that they had for tame, for, for, for a tamed animal, was this word, softness, or meekness. They, would, they wouldn't say, is that a tame dog? They would say, is that a meek dog? You take a dog, a wild dog, and you tame it, you don't get it to not be a dog. You don't cut off its legs and disempower it and make it into a, a fish or something. A dog is still a dog, whether it's tame or wild. But what you do when you tame it is you harness all that that energy, you harness the strength. You tame a lion, you don't get it to be a non-lion. It's still a lion, still got the strength, still can roar like a lion can roar. And if you command it to roar that way, it will roar. But it's not running wild. It's not, out there, it's not dangerous any longer. It's not devouring people. Or you take a horse, a wild horse, and you tame it. You make it meek. You make it so it's not dangerous. You take, it still can do what a horse can do. It can run fast. It's strong. da 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 But now, instead of just being spread all over the place and wild, that horse's energy is being harnessed, and it's productive because now there's a higher principle in its life. There's someone controlling that horse. And I submit to you that it's pretty much the same way with us. We are in much the same way as lions and horses. We've got power that needs to be harnessed. And our power isn't primarily how fast we run or how loud we can roar with our mouth. God made us free moral agents. And our domain of power that needs to be controlled is this. We have a tremendous capacity because we are free and are capable of love. We have the capacity also to hate. We have power over one another. We have influence on one another. Some more than others. But we've all got influence. That's what it is to be a full person. And so human beings, just by virtue of being created the way we're created... We have the power to love, and we have the power to hate. We have the power to bless, and we have the power to curse. We have the power with our words and with what we do. We have the power to build up, and we've got the power to destroy. We've got the power to come underneath and embrace our spouse and, and make them better. And we have the power, if we're married, to drive them into the ground by what we say and what we do. Usually in, in hot situations, intense situations, when the, when the pressure's up, what do you say what do you do? We've got power. And if it runs uncontrolled, it can be very damaging can't take it back. You can't mop up the floor with all the words and the deeds that you just spilled on the ground. We have the power to give life, and we have the power to take life. We have the power in pressured situations to influence our kids in a healthy direction, and we've got the power in, in, in hot situations to influence our kids in an unhealthy situation. It's awesome. It's incredible the kind of power and authority that we have. And if there is not inside of us a principle of control, a, a, something that harnesses us, Then it can happen, and it frequently does happen, that when the pressure is on, the situation is hostile, there's an aggravating situation, even though we maybe want to love and want to bless and want to lift up and want to encourage and and want to do all these good things, under those kind of situations, if there's not an internal principle of control, we say things and do things that are damaging, that are destructive, that tear down, that ruin things, ruin people, damage people break them into pieces, we have the power to do that. We don't want to do it. Certainly believers don't want to do that. And yet, bam, all of a sudden it comes out. And some things, while there's always forgiveness, sometimes damage is very hard to repair. You said it, and now you can't take it back. You did it, and now you can't take it back. you can give anything to take it back. You can't. Why do we do that? Why, why do we do that? Why do we get defensive sometimes? Someone says the right thing, bam. Someone does the wrong thing, bam. Situation gets a little bit out of hand, bam. You're, you're, a, you're, a, you're a dynamite stick. And maybe you don't actually throw the vase, but man, it's right there. It, it's inside of you, you're boiling. It's going to come off sooner or later. Why are we like that? Why are we like that? In spite of our best intentions, we're sometimes like that. The reason, I think, is found in, and let's go back to the tame animal thing. Why is one animal tame and another one's wild? Okay, we're talking about meekness here. Why is one animal meek and another one's not? The answer, I think, is this. A meek animal, or in our terms, a tame animal, is one that has its basic needs met. It knows where where its food comes from. It comes from the master. And so it serves the master. It does not bite the hand that feeds it, as we say. And it doesn't feel the need to protect itself because... It's learned that the master is there to protect it. And so it is meek because it doesn't need to be wild. There's a principle, a higher principle in its life than just survival. And that is exactly what's missing in the wild animal. An animal out in the wild lives for no higher principle, has no higher calling than simply to survive. It lives to get food and it lives to defend itself. That's its mechanism. That's its driving force. And it will do anything and rip apart anything, whether it's a little baby deer or a little kid. It will do that in order to feed itself. And if there's something that's threatening it or hostile towards it, it will do anything and rip apart anything, fight off anything's head to protect itself. It's a wild animal. It's out of control. It's dangerous. And that's why it's wild. The tame animal doesn't need to do that because its needs are being met with the source. Us humans don't usually, at least in this culture, have to kill one another for food. Our, our basic needs aren't a matter of protecting ourselves, though sometimes that is there. But see, there is in each one of us a hunger that will not go away. The hunger of the lion, the lion is just being a lion. That's what lions do when they're in the wild. That's what they've got to do. They've got to eat. That's non-negotiable. They're going to do whatever they've got to do to, to get food, Human beings are just the same way, but on a spiritual level. We are created with a vacuum. We're created with a hole in the soul. We need to get spiritual food. We need love. We need to feel significant. We need to feel important. We need to feel like we're worthwhile. We need to feel some kind of significance in our life. And that's a driving hunger. That's what's behind, what's behind everyone's aspirations in life. The need for those basic things. To feel like, like there's some kind of worth there. And that will not go away. And if there is not a master in your life that is feeding that hunger, if the bowl isn't set before you by someone above named Jesus Christ, if you're not getting your worth and your value and your significance and your lovability by the one who is the source of all love and all worth, then you have got to do what the lion does and that is turn the entire world into your feeding ground. And if the entire world becomes your feeding ground, the way that you're going to get worth you're going to have to pounce on people for food and pounce on people to protect yourself. There's no two ways about it. The world becomes your stage where you go about hunting for food, trying to get worth, trying to get people to like you, trying to acquire things, trying to get recognition. And if anything comes between you and the source of your life, you and the source of your food, you're going to rage up, be defensive, and blast out. If you're a source of life, for some people it could be something like hair. So, you know, I, People noticing my hair, loving my hair, liking my hair, that's what really strokes me. I feel good about myself. It feeds me. I feel significant when there's somebody noticing my hair. If that's my food, then if you criticize my hair, roar. The lion does not sleep tonight. The lion comes out. Because you got to the core of my being. This wasn't about my hair. This was about my identity. This is who I am. This is my food. This is how I live. You are a product of your environment, just like the lion. You eat off your environment, and you have to defend yourself in the environment. if the environment is hostile, you get hostile. Someone just criticized your hair. That's a hostile act. Boom, you get ragey. You get defensive. How dare you? How could you? Or if being right is your source of life. Some people, they just got to always be right. I'm right. And, and, and that's what strokes them, feeling like they're always right. They've always got the right opinions, the right theologies, the right everything. They know how to do everything. Well, if you disagree with them, if you think that they're wrong, if you dare call them stupid... Roar! The lion comes out. Why? You can just be in a little argument. Well, I don't think that's true. What do you mean that's not true? Well, you, there's their bowl of food, and you're, 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 you're taking some food away. You're criticizing it. They've got to get ragey. They've got to get hot. They've got to get big. They've got to defend themselves. Because what, the, what they're saying, what they're hearing is, you're not really worth what you think you're worth. And so you've got to say, I am worth what I think I'm worth. You're feeding your soul. For other people, it can be things like, uh, how good a parent you are. You know, am I really a great father? And if my kids are acting in ways that don't manifest that I'm a good father, especially out in public, boom, all of a sudden it's like, well, i got to feed myself. And you get big, you get ragey, you get mean, you get nasty. You're anything. You're anything but meek. You're anything but meek and nice and gentle. You get real big and nasty and ragey. And for some people, it's their car, and some people, it's their house, and some people, it's their clothes, and some people, it's their abilities. You know. And if you criticize that, criticize how they preach, or criticize how they play the guitar, or criticize how they drive, or what have you, boom, they get big, they get ragey, they get defensive. Whoa. And they don't even hear what you're saying. All they hear is, I'm, I'm threatened. They turn into a lion. Some people it can be their religion. Some people it can be their rights. It's a big one in America today. I got my rights. And my personhood is my rights. If you invade my space or you cut me off on the freeway, boom, they get big, they get ragey. If you inconvenience them in any possible way, they get big, they get ragey. Turn into a lion. The Bible says, be tamed. Be meek. And that that reflects the worth that's in your life. The Bible is not saying pretend to be tamed even though you're wild. Okay, it's a big difference. It's, it's, it's not a virtue when you're angry to be able to very effectively grind your teeth and, and smile and act like everything's okay. Praise the Lord. <laughs> the Bible isn't trying to get us to behave different. The Bible wants us to be different. The Bible wants to transform us into the kind of people that no longer need to rage because we no longer feel threatened by the things in our life. The reason why Paul is saying that this is a manifestation of the worth that we have, the reason why he's saying that, is for this reason. If you know who you are in Christ, if you know what your value is, if you know Ephesians 1 through 3 that we've gone over before, if you know how intensely you are loved and how much value God puts into your life, if you know that that is true, if that's something that you walk with, then you know what? You don't need to be hungry anymore. The world doesn't need to be your feeding ground. Your needs are being met. And when the needs of the lion are met, and it doesn't need to be a predator anymore, then it no longer is violent and dangerous. It's a tame lion. Tameness in our life, meekness in our life, comes not by trying hard to act dainty, trying hard not to act angry. Meekness comes in our life by being filled with Jesus Christ. And when the need is met, you know what? You can criticize my hair, and you can criticize my preaching, and you can mock my car, and you can say I'm a lousy parent, and you can cut me off on the highway. And maybe I'll get a little peeved about that, but one thing is for sure, this isn't about me, it's not about my life, and I don't need to get real big and ragey and acting like a lion to protect myself. If I know who I am in Jesus Christ, if I know my worth and my value, if I know something about, not just cerebrally, but in my gut, if I know how intensely I'm loved and what Jesus Christ has done for me and the value that I have in God's eyes because of that, why would I ever stoop so low as to put some kind of petty value into my hair or my clothes or my preaching ability or my parenting or my religion or what have you? If I've got the the real meal, why do I need these little surrogate foods and fight over it and try to protect it? In the end, rage is simply the outworking of a pettiness in our heart where we're putting value on things that are not valuable. The answer to this is not to try hard, not to get angry. The answer is to get more of Jesus Christ. Should we ever roar? Yeah. Jesus roared. But he didn't roar at things pertaining to himself because someone stepped on his toes and violated his rights. Jesus roared because he was a perfect, tamed human being. He was a tamed lion. He had all this power, but he knew knew when to use it because he was tamed. He roared at the things that the Father roared at. You see hypocrisy? He roars. You see charlatans? He roars. You see people ruining the reputation of God? He roars. But when he's before Pilate, he doesn't roar. His own life is on the line, but he doesn't roar. He's meek there. Why? Because Jesus knew who he was. He knew what he was called to do. He wasn't going to let a dweeb like Pilate ruffle his feathers. And so it is. When we know who we are, this stuff doesn't ruffle our feathers. Let me close by saying this. If we're very honest with ourselves, sometimes we do roar at the wrong things, don't we? Somebody say amen. We roar at the wrong things, okay? Let me give you three little helpful hints as the worship team gets ready to come out. We're going to spend a little more time in worship, but three little helpful hints. Number one, we understand that an athlete has to rehearse for his athletic performance. You've got to think about it. It's got to be in your mind. You run through it, Right? You don't just all of a sudden find yourself in a situation where you have to race against world-class athletes during the hurdles. Like, oh no, now what I'm gonna do. You've rehearsed for that. You've trained for that. We understand that to do anything well, you gotta train for it, we gotta rehearse for it, but we never do that with life. Now, I'm not very smart, but do you think that might have some reason why we have trouble doing life well? Because <laughs> we never rehearse for it. I'm throw this out and sometime or later we're gonna talk about it. Prayer is the time to rehearse for life. Prayer is your life rehearsal. Be transformed, the Bible says, by the renewing of your mind. I encourage you to do this, step number one. You know the situations that make you hot, that press your buttons, that light your fuse, all of that. You know those situations. You've been there before. Run them through in a time of prayer. Run them through in your mind. Run the movie. And now see yourself responding, not as you're used to responding as the lion, but see yourself responding as a lamb. The truth of the matter is that in Jesus Christ, you've got all peace, you've got all love, you've got all gentleness. The the question is, will you begin to see yourself like that, and will you begin to line up with that? I'm not telling you to try to talk yourself into something you aren't already. I'm just saying, rehearse for doing what you are already. When the athlete thinks about running the hurdles in world record time, he's not creating his athletic ability. He's simply getting his mind to match up to the reality of the fact that he is a world-class athlete. So also, we are world-class life champions. We really are that. Christ has made us that. If we don't live like that, it's because we don't think like that. It's because we don't rehearse for it. Use prayer to run through the very particular situations that you tend to blow up on. Number two, throughout your day, as you're driving, as you're just being idle, Be, be about reminding yourself of your calling, who you are, who you are in Christ. In Christ, you're full of love, you're full of life, you're full of confidence, you're full of power, God's spirit resides within you, you are loved with an everlasting love, you are full. You know what we are sometimes, we're like people who are just packed full, we just ate a 20 course meal, but we think we're still hungry. There are people like that. Our, 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 there's a mechanism inside of us that, 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 that doesn't tell us that we're full, but we are full. We couldn't get more life, more worth, more love than we've already got. And we don't remember that sometimes, so we go around acting like we're hungry, and then we get big and raging. Remind yourself that you are full. You're full of everything that's life, that, that, that's worth being full of. Full well, of life, love, peace, power, you name it. Remind yourself of that. Be thinking about that. Let your mind idle on that. And the third point, a very practical point, is this. When you find yourself in situations that the lion's about ready to come out, walk away. Walk away. You have a tremendous power over people. And what you say counts. And what you do counts. Especially with regard to kids. And when those words are going to come out that are not godly, and deeds are going to come out that are not godly, better to say, I'm out of here for a little bit and go away. This is, I'm convinced, this is why God arranged it. God could have had it so that we could have, we, we could have babies ourselves. You know, one person has a baby. But he did it so that two people have to have babies. And the reason is because he knew that one person would go insane trying to raise some babies. So he arranged it so you have to have two. And that's why single parents here are going to tell you, man, it is hard to do with one. It's hard to do with two. I wish he would have arranged it for four. You know, uh, Well we do tag team parenting. You know, I come in there. You know, Shelly's all like, "I'm gonna kill him! I'm gonna kill him!" So I come in. Okay, I I I've been back there rehearsing. Okay, I come in. I can take care of it. So I'm nice and calm. You know, the well, in eight minutes I'm like, (laughs) so she comes back. Okay, your turn. Tag team parenting. You know, it's like wrestling. Okay, you need the time out. Walk away from it. Better that. And then go collect yourself. Begin to just settle yourself down. Begin to remind yourself of what's important here. Don't be indicted because the family situation is not what it should be. That's not your source of life. Don't let the lion roar. I want us to tame our minds here for the next 15 minutes. Tame our minds. And we do that by harnessing our thoughts, harnessing all of our energy. Only you can do this now. Harnessing it all. And let's focus in on Jesus Christ. We want to end with a real time of worship. St. Francis de Sales, a great theologian in the 17th century, said that the mind, the imagination is like a wild bird flying around a room. If you want to pray and you want to worship effectively, you need to put that bird in the cage. I challenge you to put that bird in the cage. Don't be thinking about what's going to happen 40 minutes from now about the dinner you've got to do, about the things you've got to do, about the people next to you, or whatever. Let's focus in on Jesus Christ because he's worth it. Let's lift him up. Let's tame our minds and let's exalt his name. Let's just praise his name. Let's just lift him up.